Welcome to the Educational Passages Podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Stymist. Educational Passages is a nonprofit organization that seeks to connect people around the world to the ocean and each other through unique global experiences. In this episode of the Educational Passages Podcast, we'll have a conversation with the University of Rhode Island's Graduate School of Oceanography and talk more about the science behind miniboats. A couple weeks ago, we co-hosted a live pre-launch event with them, which celebrated their second mini-boat, which was named Inspiration. We've been working with them in the local community of Central Falls, Rhode Island, to develop and implement a district-wide mini-boat program. Joining us today is Andrea Jingris, Assistant Director of Public Engagement. Hello, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Of course. Tell us a bit more about your work and how you got involved with mini-boats. Uh, so I am with the Public Engagement Office at the Graduate School of Oceanography, like you mentioned, and I specifically work with K through 12 students and educators. And during COVID, we were looking for ways to engage students and teachers in a way that they could work independently on something, but also have a way to bring people together at a time when we weren't really able to do that. Uh, so we reached, or I reached out to you, Cassie, as a colleague and a friend, um, knowing the great work that Educational Passages has been doing over many years, and uh, requested a boat, and then found our summer program in Central Falls. It was meant for elementary school students. I feel as though there is a lack of programs engaging um, elementary students in science or STEM. And so I thought it was a nice idea to engage that age level or that school level in this program. So reached out to their school department and put me in touch with their summer program. And that's how we got started. That's great. And you have another great resource at the university there where you're able to have a lot more people involved in building these boats, not just elementary students, but grad students. So on the pre-launch event, we heard from Allie Johnson, who's also one of the graduate students. And what I really liked what she said about her role in this program is that actually, I'm just going to play the clip here because I think it's great. So again, we've mentioned the word uh, community, and I just want to check in with Allie. And, you know, we had elementary students, we had middle school students and high school students, and you're a graduate student here. What did you see your role um, as part of the mini boat program to be? So I was there to help with the mini boat, help build the mini boat. I was also there to teach them a little bit about ocean currents and physical oceanography and what makes up the field, what we do, what we study. But I think the most important role that the graduate students play in helping with the mini boats program is to, to provide an example of what a scientist looks like, what, a, what an oceanographer looks like, but just sort of what a scientist looks like in general. You know, when I was this age, I remember a scientist was like Albert Einstein. I think showing up in this class and giving them an example of what you can do with your life, what profession you can go into uh, is really important to these students. And it makes such an impression on them. I think I, if, if anything, I hope that's what they got out of our visit. So I would also like to welcome and introduce Sarah Nickbird here on the podcast today. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. And what is your role with Miniboats and URI? Um, so yeah, I'm a fourth year graduate student at URI and I got involved in this program because I heard about it when Andrea was looking for people to help out. 
I was particularly intrigued because it was like the closest thing that I could share with young students that related to my research because I use something kind of similar to the mini boat to gather data that is critical for my research. And so what better way to communicate what I do than to help students build something that they could see and do with their own hands. My role really was to guide them along the way um, and teach mini lessons about oceanography and kind of just general earth science, like how the wind and the ocean interact and stuff like that. Things that they would kind of need to help build their intuition for what this will actually do once it gets deployed. That's great. I love the mini lesson. Um, So what is that connection? You said the thing that's closest to the work that you do. I, I use uncrewed surface vehicles to gather data for the research that I do, which is um, looking at the air-sea interface. And so the mini boat is kind of like that, where it's this vessel that is uncrewed, it's deployed, and then it pretty much just transmits data back to us. It's like the best analogy for students to really understand like what a scientist could do and like how these can be used in great science that is done in the state of Rhode Island. That's awesome. Um, Andrea, are there other uncrewed surface vessels that you're using? At GSO specifically? Or yeah. We do also for other exploration. Um, we have many partners at GSO that use research vessels to go out and explore um, using various autonomous vehicles. Um, some are uh, something like a remotely operated vehicle or sea gliders or other types of instruments that oceanographers at GSO are using to help collect data. Very cool. So I think one one thing when you started bringing this in was these added sensor packs was really interesting to you. And hearing Sarah's work in the air-sea interface, these sensor packs are allowing us to collect at least air temperature and water temperature, which I think is really valuable. So Sarah, can you explain a little bit more about why that air temperature and water temperature is so valuable in your work? Yeah, so the way that I use air temperature and water temperature is to study the interaction between the ocean and atmosphere. And so it's really important to have these measured um, on the same platform, which is exactly what the mini boat does. And another unique thing about the mini boat that is distinctly different from, let's say, a research vessel is the depth of that water temperature measurement. And so the keel of the mini boat is about two feet long. And so the ocean or the water temperature sensor is at the bottom of that. And if we compare to the research vessels, the, the depth of the research vessel water temperature sensor is about 15 feet. And so the key is to understand the true sea surface, which is really that upper couple feet of the ocean. And that's exactly what the mini boat does. And that's the reason why we want to understand that is because that's the layer that interacts directly with the atmosphere. That's really neat. So what other kind of data should we be collecting with these things? Starting out with the air temperature and water temperature is great. One thing that would be really interesting too would be wind speed. That's particularly useful if you want to kind of understand 
the wind speed and direction because that really is what um, propels these mini boats on their journeys across the oceans. That would be one one thing to add, but having air and water temperature is great. We have over 165 mini boats that have been launched since the program started. And I think the biggest difference I like to say between, you know, drifters and boats is sails up or sails down. So if you have the sail kind of underneath the water, you're drifting. But if you have the sail up, you're really getting driven by wind. And a couple boats just got launched really close to Florida. And as we saw uh, with the wind there, they went straight to shore. So that's really showing the power of the currents versus the wind, which can be really powerful for science, right? Yeah, that's um, one of the best things about looking at the path analysis tool is seeing how the wind blows and kind of in the next timestamp, you can predict where the mini boat will go based on the wind from the previous timestamp. And that's super fun. And when the wind dies, you can see it getting swept by the ocean currents. And then when the wind picks back up, it just follows that again. They're starting to be very predictable. (laughs) That's right. And I want to add that that's something that we did with our students um, when we reconnected with them just a couple of weeks ago after Inspiration was launched. We showed the map of where it currently was, uh, put on the path analysis wind tool to make some predictions and had the kids kind of trace and think about where it might go based on those winds. And I haven't circled back with the teacher yet to see if any of those predictions were accurate, but it's something that I think is a nice way to engage the students and show the powers of the winds, or maybe if the sail is gone, like what we think maybe is happening with Square Mile, then maybe it's, you know, the surface currents that are really tracking it or, or, or providing its journey. That's great. We love to see the predictions and building the boat takes a while and students are putting their name on it, they're putting their heart and their soul into it, and then they're setting it off to sea. But that just starts another adventure of tracking it and seeing where it goes. So since this is the science behind the mini boats episode, I want to play another clip from the pre-launch event where Allie was talking about how the mini boats travel. But they're also going to be affected by the Gulf Stream. Um, And so there's lots of loop-de-loops that it takes, which could be small eddies that are shedding off of the Gulf Stream. And eddies are just sort of circular rotating bodies of water that, that sort of shed off the really strong currents of the Gulf Stream. So the Gulf Stream follows the continental shelf and Square Mile got dropped kind of in that area-ish. Why did it go west? I have never seen a mini boat do that. There's a recirculation gyre actually on both sides of the Gulf Stream. So you have this really strong eastward current, but then you have a recirculation to the north and then you have a recirculation to the south. And so I bet it got stuck in the recirculation before getting trapped in the Gulf Stream. And the recirculation, especially in the south, it can be pretty strong. I'm not as familiar with on the north side, but obviously strong enough to carry that away. Because it went, it, it got dropped and it's not like it just went south or west a little bit. It got carried pretty far and then it got entrained, right? It went up to the shelf break, then south a little bit, and then it started strongly westward. So another uh, sensor that's on these sensor packs right now is an orientation sensor. And it is telling us the pitch of the boat, which is definitely a new kind of layer of learning to see how these boats are traveling. In the past, it's just, here's the location, here's where I am. But the more sensors and the more data we're collecting, the more we can try to get that picture in our minds of what's happening. Of course, now with added cameras, we can actually see what's happening out there. But that's another thing. 
And I wonder how pitch might kind of compare to the sail drones. So when I think of it, I kind of use it as a diagnostic for sea state or how the platform is handling the wind. And so the pitch is like the forward to back motion, right? And so you can kind of get a better understanding of how the platform is handling the weather that it's in. And so that can be really key to understanding. You know, sensors aren't perfect. Sometimes there's wild measurements. It's good to understand maybe where that's coming from. It's also cool to see, like, if a weather system comes by um, and builds up the sea state, it could also bring a very unique air mass with it. So it could show up as a temperature drop and a lot of platform motion at the same time. So you can pair those two things together to tell a story. Yeah, for sure. And see how far they're getting blown over with strong winds (laughs) and how they're kind of riding themselves. I mean, that's what they're designed to do. So how have the predictions been for Square Mile so far? I personally was obsessed at some point um, after we launched it with really trying to make those predictions. It's interesting to look at it where it's going now. It was making its way pretty close to the Azores, but it looks like I would think maybe a little bit of winds and some surface currents has really turned it around a few times, actually. (laughs) Um, So it made its way away from the Azores at this point. So predictions of it getting closer to potentially landing have kind of gone out the door. um, And we're now looking at other influences that is that is predicting or is that is increasing its journey elsewhere. I will make one more observation. I have never seen a mini boat land in the Azores with a sail still fully intact. Just an observation, but perhaps we will learn more if Square Mile lands over there and can help us dive into that wind influence parameter here with the mini boats and and, and really dive into that. We've actually been working with the university for a few years now as they've helped to set quite a few other mini boats to see off their research vessel Endeavor, which was who launched the Inspiration and Square Mile. I think actually in a couple weeks, there will be another one that maybe Sarah may also get to help launch. I don't know, Sarah, did you know that you're taking one on the Endeavor? Did Jamie tell you? I just found that out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah. Who who built that one? Uh, It's a school in Burroughville, so Northern Rhode Island. Um, It's their second boat, actually. And so he is doing it. Cassie, is it with an after school? No, it's his environmental science class. class. Okay. And what grade? High High school. school. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm super stoked to see how it like looks. It's it's, like one of the things with the sail drone launches that I've been able to attend. There's like a lot of excitement once you see it like sailing under its own not power, but sailing unattached to anything. And so you kind of see how it moves in the water. And That's same for the mini boats, really cool. especially for the kids, right? You know, you put all this hard work into it and then you get to see it to go off and you have no idea if you're going to see it again, when you'll see it again. I guess with, with sail drones, you kind of do know where it's going to go and, and you can tell it where to go. But there's like a little mystery to the mini boats too. We know exactly what's going to happen. And I think that's what's part of the fun. Well, I think I think that's also perfect for driving curiosity in the students that get to work on these projects because you can't you can't stand there and tell them the answer because they have to think about all the possibilities with you. More about Greg's boat that might be interesting to you. So they've got the sensor pack on this one. So it's the same data as Inspiration Square Mile. 
And their first boat is the rowboat, which actually got shoved out of the Gulf Stream by Tropical Storm Elsa. Oh. And it landed in on the south coast of Newfoundland. Wow. Last year. But what's really cool about rowboat is it's going to a high school on Fogo Island and they're going to they're they wrote a grant to get funding to add the sensor pack to rowboat. Nice. And they're gonna launch it hopefully by the end of May. But then both of Bureauville's boats are gonna have the sensors and be in different parts of the ocean. That's really cool. So what are some other issues that we can help to address with these mini boats? Ocean trash is a huge problem. And I think it's really amazing that you guys make these and encourage people to redeploy once they find them or recover them. And we were talking about the science behind the boats and the air-sea interface, but there's transport, right? A lot of drifters and mini boats are out there to help us better understand what else is traveling. Um, I know Mm -hmm. the student drifter project that I used to work with um, started by looking at lobster larvae, right? How are they traveling across? Because then they're going to eventually settle. And I know kind of recently, um, more in the news is kind of ocean trash and marine debris. And I think one of our important messages here is that we're putting a GPS on these boats because we need to understand how they're getting there. Um, You know, with a message in a bottle, you, you have your start and maybe you have your finish but you don't know how it got there. Um, So we're trying to do purposeful science here too. I think it's amazing. Well, with the rye story, yeah, half of it made it, but half of it with the GPS. And then a week later, um, not even a week later, a hard hat from Maine showed up the next island over. That's so wild. So two things from New England transported their way up to the Arctic Ocean and... It is a great opportunity to say, well, do you think if it was a full boat with a sail, it would have made it? Yeah, good point. So we talked about what data are being collected and how the students are adding these sensors to the boats. But now I want to ask, how valuable would it be for these data to get in the hands of scientists? I love that question. The mini boat data can be used in a lot of different ways. The first one that comes to my mind is um, if we're able to incorporate it into the global telecommunication system or the GTS, that is really a way to gather data, make it publicly available in real time for anyone to use. And the reason why it's so important is because it informs weather forecasts and it's also used to improve weather models. And so tying back to the initial comment on the depth of the water sensor, one thing that we don't have a lot of is that upper ocean temperature measurement. And so this is a really unique place where the mini boat data can become particularly useful. I think the calculation is 1.5 million kilometers that we've tracked by GPS so far. So imagine if each of those had the sensor data on top of it. I mean, that's a massive amount of information that would be really useful for scientists to improve their forecast because they're they're getting this added layer of the wind effect that I don't think anyone else is. So what's next? How do we keep these students engaged in the process? So I know from my standpoint, I would love to go back into the schools, um, especially with the students who helped to build the boat itself. 
and check in with them before the end of the school year, uh, give an update as to where both boats are, make some connections as to how they are sailing. There was a similar path of both Square Mile and Inspiration. We noticed that in our the path analysis that they kind of went through the same kind of area, um, but they were launched at two different times. So having the students think about that, you know, six months apart are two different seasons. So what could be happening out there in the Atlantic that is making one boat go across to the Azores and now the inspiration kind of making a north turn um, and heading a little bit differently than what the square mile did. You know, we talked about winds and surface currents are factors, but what is the difference in spring versus fall that could be happening out there and really trying to think about that. I'm not an oceanographer, so I rely on my colleagues and my peers at GSO to really help with that. And that's why we did bring in, you know, grad students and other scientists to help participate in this is so that students really do have that vision of a scientist and, you know, feel comfortable talking to scientists and also giving our grad students an opportunity to talk about their research and to improve upon their communication and outreach skills. Um, by participating in this program. And I do want to say that I think all of our um, GSO participants were um, female and women. So that was really inspiring to the students to see that, you know, some of them, and I I know Allie mentioned this in the pre-launch, kind of think of scientists as these kind of lab coat wearing people, you know, in, in strolled, you know, people that almost looked like, you know, that looked like them. And especially for the girls, it was really nice to have um, them see these really accomplished grad students um, and sharing their pathways and encouraging the students to kind of take on that path and to explore their interests in science in different ways. And I think the mini boat program itself is really useful and inspiring in that it is that hands-on activities that you're doing, you're building something. And then we brought in our outreach scientists to really supplement and help learn the oceanography behind um, the mini boat program. And so having the students engage in multiple hands-on activities throughout the weeks that they were with us, hopefully we'll have a couple of oceanographers at GSO in 10, 15 years that might have went through and built a program is what my hope is. Absolutely. And we still are collecting data every moment. And so we have the opportunity to dive into that and to see what changes that they're capturing. And that's what gets me excited. You know, I'm not an oceanographer either. I'm not a data scientist, but I'm a wannabe for sure. So (laughs) having all this extra data, even just downloading and looking at air temperature versus water temperature and seeing daily variations. I mean, that's an opportunity for a student to really want to learn about it. You know, that's their boat in the middle of the ocean and they built it. And that's the data that it collected. What about you, Sarah? How do you want to keep the students engaged? Because I wasn't involved in the square mile but I was involved in the inspiration build. And one thing that I noticed was that the high school students were actually tracking its position like actively. They would update it every couple of days on their big map in their classroom and put like a sticker or an X. And so I think that's really great that even at the high school level, the students are engaged and invested to see where it goes. And I hope that they're tracking the inspiration just like they did the square mile. But yeah, just like Andrea said, I I also hope that the involvement with this project inspires one of the, at least one of the third graders to become an oceanographer or even like some kind of engineer, ocean engineer. 
this type of program can open their eyes to something that they may not have learned in the classroom prior or may not have seen like being demonstrated or have been able to participate with their own two hands is what I like to say. But yeah, hopefully inspiring the next generation of scientists, oceanographers, or engineers. That's fantastic. Thank you both for your work in helping to inspire those students. And, you know, I can see it now, 10 years, that that it's definitely going to happen. So I appreciate you both taking the time with us today. Thank you. And I also just want to give a shout out to Andrea and Sarah and Allie and everyone at the University of Rhode Island's Graduate School of Oceanography for all their work in setting up and implementing this awesome program with the mini boats. You have been listening to the Educational Passages podcast. Educational Passages is a nonprofit organization. Please consider making a donation to help us continue our work bringing people together to learn more about the ocean. To donate, head over to educationalpassages.org support. If you're enjoying this program, please consider subscribing to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or from wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening.